Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to go through Strength Coach Chronicles, the blog post we did on investing in yourself. It's all about where are you proficient and where are you weak and start to create an inventory of where you should, where you should be spending your time. It's not a foregone conclusion that you read the same books and you go to the same conferences. I think we need to have a better examination into what we need and focusing our education time and resources towards that. And if you do that, there should be a debrief to find out if there's actually ROI or not, a return on investment. And that could be time, money, or resources. Check over phpodcast.com. We have all of our Strength Coach Chronicles listed within our blog, so you can go through the blog and now we'll see the attached audio. As well as in the other end, get over the curriculum. Curriculum is the most advanced strength conditioning course out there. And in my opinion, I think it's gonna be the most complete. You have four separate sections, coaching, nutrition, movement, and training, all broke up and also into five sections between principles, practical, case study, interview with the strength coach, and then the references. All of those are gonna bring incredible value there's 50 and growing. Trust me, you get in there, you're just getting started and you're probably not going to finish ever and it's going to constantly grow till it reaches to the point where we crash the server. That's the kind of goal. So you have pH curriculum. We also have strength deficit, which is leveraging eccentric versus concentric ratios, your go-to resource for that framework in that specific environment. And then we have the practical course. This is the practical guide to strength deficit. How can you apply this within your setting to be the most capable coach with strength deficit? All those collectively are going to make a really good platform for you, the user, the coach, to be able to be really good in your setting. Lastly, head over to realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness performance. I use this dashboard. I use this to create experiments. I can use this to sequester labs for myself or my clients. It's an amazing resource. I cannot tell you enough how much I use this platform and how invaluable it is for me because bottom line, when I plan something, program something, or do anything, I want to see the cause and effect relationship. And Realize is being able to do that for me. Realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness performance. Highly recommend it. Get over there. Get on their beta. It's going to be a huge tool for you as a strength coach. All right, guys. Let's get into this. Strength Coach Chronicles, investing in yourself. This is going to be a doozy. I hope you guys are ready. I'm going to go into some controversial stuff, I think, or controversial for me, per se, and uh, be able to improve everyone's uh, ability to be able to filter courses and do things that are going to be more valuable for you. Appreciate you guys. See you on the other side. All right, so we're going to get into this idea of investing into yourself. This is such a, I think, a really specific thing for our industry. If you were going to work in any other part of the world and doing anything else, there is not a profession more consistently and more interested in enhancing their ability to do their job than ours. So much, though, it creates incredible debates about concepts like this. That, oh, Tim is awful, or Tim is great, or I don't have time for that, or man, how do you not make time for that? And when we go into this idea of developing yourself, or developing your skill, or developing your craft, you have to look at this from... This is a very unique thing for strength conditioning. There's not a more ravenous and more consuming customer base for continuing education and strength conditioning coaches. Now, I open with that because 
We're also a very vulnerable populace that we're going to get really that snake oil that all of us don't even know we're drinking. Now, the reason why I created this podcast and this platform is to be a medium for strength conditioning coaches. I've been there. I am there. I understand. I understand the plights. I understand the perils. I understand every aspect of the job. If anything, potentially you have this this voice out there that's talking to you. And I've taken this high road approach of not trying to denigrate or diminish anybody. I have my my opposition and my critiques, but I don't think it's the, the long play off of trying to devalue someone regardless of potentially their difference of philosophy or their lack there of skill. On the other end, though, I think there's a opportunity for really good debate. There's an opportunity for really good insight and how can we all do our job better. And judging by the response I get, they're judging by the response I get from my peers and my friends to certain educational platforms, it could go into this, throw your hands up, what's the point? Or it can go into this other narrative of there's a captive and ravenous audience that's willing to get on a pedestal and fight for what they feel is good or bad. You just got to be able to talk to them in a way that they can appreciate and understand. And I don't want to go this route of saying polarizing things to try to disrupt or upset anything. What I want to go this route of is providing high quality content and information for the strength coach by a strength coach that doesn't dumb down or water down or try to say, oh, well, you know, gee, shucks, golly, it's all about good athletes and hard work and dedication and culture. It's not. Because that's not why I'm doing this. Because I can do that literally anywhere. I can get a job at Walmart and Costco, which is a great co- a great culture with way better compensation. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. What I want to be a part of is a profession that challenges me, that makes me think that pref- a, a job that goes, I don't know. And I'm excited to find out. But with that comes a certain level of of angst and certain level of intensity that I don't think is matched by anything else. And I think this gets into the next part here is investing in yourself. Now I've always put value on investing in yourself. And I, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I've read as much, if not more than most coaches out there. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I've, gone to as much if not more than most coaches out there I have two master's degrees I averaged for the better part of the first decade at least five grand a year towards continuing education second half probably another three to five grand I've had to accumulate over six figures in terms of investing into my continuing ed and I And I look at this in two ways. It's a lot of money out. That's a a ton of money out. That is more than a down payment for most homes in America. Now on the other end, what was the return on investment there? 
what was it that I was able to capitalize on that to get actually more value for my customers or more direct compensation for me? These are a lot. It's a lot of variables to associate with just going to a course. But I think it goes into this concept that I think we need to do a better job. So you're deciding whether I'm good, you're deciding whether someone else is good, you're deciding if I'm bad or someone else is bad. And that's influencing your decision. And a lot of it's subjective. A lot of it is your built-in criteria if that fits within the narrative of what I want a educational platform to be or not. On the other hand, does that fit into the actual equation of making you a better coach, yes or no? And this is something where you have to do a better job of inventorying your skill set and finding the gaps, finding where you can improve upon yourself and where you can bring more value. And if you don't have something, how are you going to get it and reverse engineering the process to getting it? I want to be a head strength coach. I want to own my own gym. I want to do X, Y, Z. I've done all those things. I've been on the front end and back end of that. I've been successful and unsuccessful. I've had a very slow build and reached that apex. Well, I'll tell you what I did is I did an inventory of where I was inherently weak and I find solutions to fix those problems. While doing that, I tapped that that intrigue or that fire of I really still have a passion for understanding the human body and how it responds to stressors and different interventions and the impact there and talking to coaches. I think there's an element of doing both, but I want to say this first and foremost, without context and you're just applying con ed, you're just wasting time. You're confusing activity with accomplishment. I've got on my pedestal and talk about this, but stop reading books that you already know what it's about. You don't need to read another book going over, do a little bit more or be more positive. I'll just say it. There's a lot of trash out there. Go on, to, go, on to, go on Amazon, go on to Barnes & Noble if that still exists by the time you actually listen to this. There is so much content out there. The fact that you're listening to this means that we're all part of this. I'm pumping more into the void. When you go to a bookstore or you go to Amazon and you're deciding, oh, I want to buy a book. Ask yourself, what is your buying pattern? Look through your buying records. Go to Amazon and go to your orders and look through the books, filter it to books. And what kind of books do you read? How is that helping you or how is that making you essentially just occupy space and time? You know, are you getting that like classification like, oh man, that guy's always reading. And you're reading trash books that don't help you. If you can get this first, if you can get the entire book from the first sentence and then spending two to 300 pages trying to convince you that that thought was correct, throw the book away. It's a waste of time. But I think it goes into the next thing. If you're reading books that you already know, it probably means you're reading books that you don't already know what that book is about. You're probably not pushing yourself. For the folks that don't know, I have a degree in math. 
Not good at math. I didn't, I didn't realize this too late. And when I'm going through a math, math degree, and you're going through abstract algebra and monogeometry, introduction analysis, statistics, statistics one, two, you get this extreme overwhelming sense that everything you've done to that point was all just memorization and regurgitation and basically falling within this regression to the mean of your class that your teacher is teaching to the lowest common denominator to get everyone through. But then you get thrust into a math major where you're the lowest one and it can only pull you up so much. Learning in that sense should be very challenging. I got that condition in my mind early. When I transitioned to exercise science, got to go through all the prerequisite courses, biochem, X, X phys, anatomy and physiology, kinesiology, biomechanics, motor learning. I'm not sitting there saying these things were easy, but I'm saying I, it was a lot easier because I went through the harder part. Now I'm on the back end and I know what that strain feels like and I know what that sense of I have no idea feels like. So when I pick up a book and I look it open and I say, I have no idea what this is. I just posted four books that I did read in the past five years that I think have made a profound influence on me. Fourth Phase of Water, Body Electric, Gilbert Lang's Life, and then Nick, anything Nick Lane's done. But all of those books, in a lot of sense, I had some sort of pieces of what they were talking about, but I had no idea the concept or the framework or even in large part, there's a different perspective on something that I've already known. And when I'm reading these books, you get this like, you get this feeling. And I'm reading this book right now called The Infinite Loop about pretty much the idea that we constantly in these loops to build in AI models. And when you're reading these books and you're going through them and you're trying to process what this all means, you get this feeling of, I don't know everything. I don't know anything. I'm in the extreme version of Dunning-Kruger that I have this overwhelming sense that I'm incompetent and I have 20 years of experience and two master's degrees and $100,000 of education into my, into, my, into my pedigree. But what is that, what's the point of that? Why would I do that? Why would I commit to that? Because I know that's going to have a residual effect if I just can leverage that in a way that's positive. If you've listened to my module on nutrient timing, you get a sense of how I'm piecing together all these things from multiple sources at any given time. If you've ever gone through any of my ex-phys presentations I've done, if you've ever gone through any of my logistics or practical application lectures that I've done, you see that I, I'm piecing together from an infinite number of sources that I'm the cumulative outcome of being in a very, very open and willing to go into domains and educational platforms that most won't. And what it does for me is two part. It gives me a lot of models to pull from when I'm trying to come up with a solution to a complex problem. 
as well as it gives me some sort of impetus to say that I can have a platform and I could talk to that coach out there that's only working with one model, only working with one philosophy or ethos, right? You know, the this is why I get so frustrated by the reductionist-based thought of like, all you gotta do is this. Like, that's not true. Not even close. Not even close, and I'll tell you why. Because body's a complex, open, adaptive system, and we work in complex, open environments, very low constraints. We can apply a very reductionist-based, high-constraint, closed approach to this problem. And if you read physics, if you read chemistry, if you read models, if you read just opening a business, you know, there's a lot of parallels between opening a business and training the human body. It's a lot of great unknown, a lot of fun. To, I can't wait to find out and I can't wait to apply my, my multi-model lattice to this problem. But what it does though too, it goes into this other level of you're more valuable. You're more valuable because you took more risks. And risk is a relative term here, but I can tell you definitively, because I went out there and went to these courses or read these books, I was able to bring more value value when the time presented itself. And that value led directly into compensation. I made, I didn't get paid for a semester at Springfield College, but technically I was supposed to make like seven grand at Springfield College as a graduate assistant. I think I got paid 3500 a semester. I didn't get paid for the fall. Never got that back pay. So if anyone at Springfield College is uh, is there. But on the other note, I technically got a year of remote-based education for free. So points mute. Either way. Uh, $3,500 at, at Springfield College. First job at Georgia Tech, 32 grand. Second year, 36. Third year, 40. Left there at 40, went to USC, got bumped up to 50. 50 to 55 to 60. Left there at 60, went to Army, started at 125 with the house. Didn't get a raise by three years there, but before I left, I got offered a 50K raise. So here I am taking a $3,500 annual all the way up to 175 over the course of 12 years, 13 years. That is the direct product of me increasing my skill set. I don't have this overwhelming pedigree. I didn't play sports at a high level. I don't really know a whole lot about football. You know, a little bit, not more than most, but I'm really good and competent within my domain. I mean, really good. And I was able to really accentuate some, some areas that I was weak in. And I could tell you the, the investments and the strategies I did I can tell you that the fact that I went to a perform, perform better course or for a perform better course or a Mike Boyle winter seminar when I was at grad school, we didn't know any of that stuff. I was so underexposed to any of those things. The fact that I went to a functional movement screen course or got my precision nutrition certification when I was at Georgia Tech. The fact that I was able to go to a Poliquin seminar when I was at USC fact that I was able to go to Altus and FRC and, and Eldoa and all these other courses out there. And some were better than others, there's no doubt about it. But I look at my skill set at the given time, all of those manifested in either more direct responsibility or better opportunity down the road, right? At Georgia Tech, when I decided to get precision nutrition level one, I was responsible for nutrition. And 
my ability to show that I'm willing to learn and grow got me more resources. It got me a raise. When I applied to USC and I was kind of like thrust into the void of other strength coaches out there, a thousand people applying all for the same job. The thing that differentiated me, and this is a fact, the fact that I was very skilled and competent in functional movement screen. Now this precedes functional movement screen level one, the certification. This is all showing my age a little bit, but that was the reason why I got that job. Facts, like this is it. Like I remember having this conversation with my boss. I don't know if the, you know, the head coach is gonna go for it. And I was like, well, can I show you some of the functional movement screen stuff I talked about with sports medicine? And he forwarded that over to sports medicine. And they went up to the head coach and say, this is the guy we need. This is the guy we can speak to. This is the guy who can connect what we're trying to do in the training room with what we want to do in the weight room. And I kind of remember going through the functional movement screen stuff. And it was kind of an island. It wasn't really something we could ever apply in my setting at Georgia Tech. And that's okay. Just wasn't there. Didn't really bring value, relatively speaking, to the things that we're doing. But I'll be damned. It definitely brought me value down the road. And then I remember this inflection point at USC, and, I, and this is okay. This is like not something I'm trying to bash certain conferences, but we were affiliated with the CSCCA, and it came down to, okay, it's, we're, we're going to go for Con Ed, and everyone's going to be paid to go to the CSCCA, which is going to be in you know either Salt Lake or Orlando or Fort Worth or Kansas City, wherever it's going to be, which, to be honest, I can't tell you I've ever had a bad time at the CSCCA. I love going to that because I... I see all my friends. I see everyone I really, really care about in the industry. I spend all the time I want to get out there with them, and we have a great time. Maybe see a couple things, but I'm not pulling a whole lot from that. And I remember this point of like, man, I really, I'm going to have responsibility for programming at USC. I really want to invest into that. And it came across Poliquin, and I was, I just got, I read Poliquin principles years before. And I was like, I really want to get into this. This is an important next step. And I asked like the person who was overseeing where we're going to allocate our funds towards Con Ed. And like, we'll pay for the CSCCA, but we're not going to pay for Polycon. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to bring us more value. I'm like, and plus I'm not CSCCA, so it doesn't really matter. I don't need to go to that. And it got, you know, pretty heated. And I'm like, all right, fine, I'll pay for myself. So I paid for my I paid for my own ticket. I paid for my own room and board. I paid for the certification, which anyone's ever gone to a Polycon seminar knows that ain't cheap. And I came back and I was infinitely better than everyone else around me. I mean, night and day. I went back for level three. I went back for my biosig. I was still responsible for nutrition at USC. And now here I am on this whole nother stratosphere, relatively speaking to my counterparts. And what it did too was, okay, at this point, I've accumulated a lot right now. So I am responsible for programming. I'm responsible for this. You know, basically liaison, return to play, athletic training connection from our, my functional movement screen uh, ability. I was I was responsible for all nutrition, so I was the point of contact for all the head, all the coaches to go, hey, is my guy gaining weight? Is my guy losing weight? How are we doing there? I was this big point of contact for a lot of things. I was kind of the I was kind of the guy for a lot of stuff regarding that program. I had a lot of interface with sports medicine. I had a lot of interface with the coaches. I had a lot of interface with sport, the sports admin. So here I am going into my next job feeling like I'm ready to be a head strength coach. I am. And you get this sense of bravado and confidence when you get in there. Like I interview, go in there, 
go over how much you know and how much you understand. Maybe you don't get a job. I've gotten turned down for several head strength coach jobs. Like I just didn't apply to my first one and got it. I was turned down multiple times. What I learned was my knowledge and skill set in the eyes of the people that are hiring is not as valuable as potentially other skill sets. But you're going to be an orchestrator and a facilitator, not necessarily a programmer and someone who's really skilled in these particular areas like nutrition and movement. And that's when you start to transition into more management stuff. And you start to look at it from, I'm managing a staff, I'm managing a team, I'm managing a department, I'm managing a budget, I'm managing, I'm managing a big entity. I need to get skilled there. And little did I know that the books that you're reading there, uh, getting into in terms of like startups or looking at it from managing a business or looking at it from managerials, that was gonna give me the the background or the baseline information to starting a business and managing a staff, managing a business and looking at it and working with business partners and working at all these other variables associated with business and having a healthy fear of it. I mean, a really healthy fear of like a deep seated anxiety that most people will very, very, very rarely ever come across. But it made me confident at the same time because now I'm a head strength coach and I'm running a staff, I'm running a department, I'm doing well, doing really well. And I get that itch for a bigger challenge, a little bigger risk reward profile. And then I go off and open a business and you're basically just pushing through. And to be honest, when you go open up that first business and you go into this transition of that, man, there's a lot of doubt. No one's giving you any kind of benefit of the doubt based off your pedigree or what you think you know or what you think, what you, think you can contribute. They don't care. How many times I told someone, man, I was just a head strength coach at a Division I university. How lucky are you? And they didn't care. I mean, that's essentially what I was saying. Like, God, I, I can't believe you have the opportunity to train with me. And they're looking at it from, you know, there's about 10 gyms within a, square, a quarter mile radius here that I can go to any given day and the price or, or the price or the convenience or them just basically being nicer is probably more a definitive factor or why I sign up or not. Big old slice of humble pie. Can I handle that? Can I emotionally handle that? Yes, I can. Because quite frankly, I've been turned down. I've been turned. I've done every single thing possible in the industry. So when someone tells me that I'm not good enough based off these other underlying characteristics, I got to work on refining my message. And that's when you go into sales. It's when you work in this other idea that I don't really know how to sell what I do. I don't know how to convince someone what I do is more valuable than someone else. So I need to learn that. The big thread here, though, this is the big thing that I want everyone to kind of sit with as we're listening to this, is the bottom line is when you choose to read a book, when you choose to go to a course, when you choose any bit that's going to be outside of the confines of your direct job, it should be based on an underlying value that you need to acquire, relatively speaking, to where you're at professionally. It should have a direct debrief and post-mortem to see the impact on that. There's some conferences and some things that I did for personally that I just wanted to, I was eager to know. Pollock on level four. I really wanted to do that. Could I have gotten what I needed to get out of Pollock on level three? Maybe, maybe not. But at a certain point, I think there's an element from a networking perspective, from a 
validation perspective, from a, a confidence perspective, that we can go down the road of whatever domain and make no bones about it, myself and everyone else who's in this con ed game for coaches is I got you in and I got to keep you going. And it may not be in the best interest of what your career needs or what the career, what you're, what you need from a viability standpoint. And this is why I'm a big proponent of models that the outlet for this, for pH and anything that I'm doing is acquire as many models as you possibly can. And then use those models when you need them, refine and, and be more deliberate with your process. And then at the end, when you open up a business or your head strength coach or an assistant with boots on the ground, trying to bring more value, focusing on these other domains within that department, you can go into this threshold that most people can't. You can lean in an area that is going to get you more compensation and more value. You're going to bring more value to your clients and athletes. At the end of the day, we only have a finite amount of time and how we use that needs to be allocated really, really specifically. We need to have a plan. Go back and look through your Amazon orders of books. Is it a bunch of things that you already knew? Before you even bought the book, did you already know about it? Did you go through that book and go, wow, I finished the book. Were you changed in any meaningful way? You spent, you know, say it's a 300 page book. It's probably about 10 hours of reading. Are you better? Are you better? I don't know. Do you prefer audiobooks because it's more passive and you kind of just pass the time? Do you absorb information that way? Are you better? Or you just occupy a lot of space and time? A lot of free podcasts out there probably should do that first. Do you go to a course and you know everyone and you're not really learning everything, but you're happy to be with your friends versus I don't know one and I don't know anything. I'm really anxious about being here. Okay. I don't know if you're in the right or wrong place, but at the end, can you debrief then me going to that conference where I knew everyone and I knew everything was more effective for me as a coach versus the other end of going to another conference. And let's, I think there's a note I want to make before I completely close up here. Anyone who goes to a national conference thinking they're going to get a job is mistaken. I'm, I'm just, the networking effect of any kind of national conference is so small. If, I can tell you this firsthand. If I'm a head strength coach, I'm not looking to get bothered by, by upstart assistance. I don't want that. And I think it's a mistake too, to be honest. I think you should have a Rolodex of people you should hire as you're going through personally in a college setting or a professional setting, you know, taking on interns and then promoting them, I think should be more of a precedent as opposed to hiring interns and then telling them to go off on their own and then hiring someone you don't know. But on the other end though, like I don't want to create this nepotism or I don't want to create this preferential treatment, but when I go to a conference, man, and I can tell you this firsthand. You know, you, you talk to a head strength coach, you may be hiring people, and it's it's going to come secondhand. It's going to come from how you present yourself and, you know, your boss talking about how good you are. It's not handing him your business card and saying, I'd really love to work with you one day. It's a very indirect method. 
it's like going, joining a social club. You got to have someone to vouch for you. You got to have that sponsor. My boss is going, man, my guy Tim is the best, man. He is so good. He does so much. He does this, this, and this. And they're all competitors. They're thinking about that in the back of your mind. Like, I could use that in my facility. And you get an email or a text a couple days later. Hey, hey, man, great meeting you over the weekend. Like, hope you have a great trip back, man. Love to talk to you about maybe one day working here at my school. That's how it goes. And I'm not sitting there saying that, like, having the courage to go up to a head strength coach and saying, hey, I'd really love to work for you one day. It doesn't take courage. It doesn't take some sort of, like, gumption. I mean, that's what you're doing in sales. You're just having the courage to walk up to someone and be able to take a no. But on the other end, it's not designed for that. It's really not. You know, you like it. You might be that person that gets down to the floor before all the conferences start and you know, just hanging out with the older guys, but they just want to hang out by themselves. They want to see their friends. So if you try to like get in edgewise, unless you're just this freakazoid that's going to grab their attention, that can lift the house, or on the other end, it goes into this like maybe you have an opportunity to speak, or you know maybe you're part of a staff that's you know quote unquote like the so the epicenter of where people are paying attention to like oh dang that school went to the national championship last year I want to uh, eyes are on them and you're walk, walking around with the swag with that school whether you're an intern or the top assistant you know you have this perception but to get to that threshold of being a head strength coach you ain't gonna get at any national conference you're getting hired by the wrong people the hire the people that are hiring you aren't at that conference the people that are competing with you are. So if you give them any bit of insight, like, yeah, I got this, you got this, uh, I got a little rumor that such and such is leaving, I'm, and I know the head coach, I'm going to put my name in that for that. They're going to go into it for two. They're going to send me an email, like, I heard such and such is leaving. Let me see if I can get myself in there. So the, the networking effect of, like, some of these national conferences or the job potential effect, like, I don't know. I, I, my, my opinion is that it's, it's overrated. You're better off investing into your skill set. You're better off investing into yourself. You're better off putting yourself into a platform where you are so invaluable and indispensable that the school that you're working at can't get rid of you and every other school wants you. My opinion. Now, I'm biased. That was my approach. But on the other end, I'm never able to see. I've never heard this like, I don't, you don't hear this overwhelming like everybody's walking out from that CSCCA or CSCS seminar and going, I got my job. I got my job. It's not a job fair. They're not recruiting. They're hanging out. They're trying to see their friends. Maybe they're trying to learn. But it's not a job fair. And I think that's the part that's a huge misconception about these conferences. It's not the responsibility for the head coach there to try to go out there and get the next great guy or girl. It's hard in that way. You got to go out there and prove yourself and get as good as you can possibly good that you're undeniable the best candidate. That when you do get that opportunity interview, you walk in there and you're the smartest person in the room and you can tell them why. That when you get the opportunity to get that job that you prove yourself, the more because your skill set and your acquisition of models and and insight is better than everyone else. To me, I think that's the best way to go about it because you can control that vector. You have control of the conferences and the books and the courses that you do. You don't have control over subjective measurements. You don't have control over the networking elements to a degree. 
So when you're thrusting yourself of like playing a numbers game off of like, I'm shooting my shot with as many strength coaches as I possibly can to get the job versus I'm just going to develop myself to a certain level and not creating a sense of isolation and arrogance about it. Like, I think that's the other mistake is becoming completely closed off to the the networking effect. Like you still got to prove yourself and you still got to prove yourself to people that hire. But I'm just saying you got to do it in these more more catalytic environments. You're going to do it with situations that show your worth more transparently. So when you're investing in yourself or when you're doing anything, my advice to you is, is it going to bring you a greater opportunity to get what you want or what you don't have than what you would otherwise? And then the stratosphere that you can get from that, that first collegiate job, that head strength coach job, opening your own gym, running a gym, working in a gym, is going to be a lot more available to you because you're more valuable. You're not perceived to be more valuable. You are more valuable. And you can see that by having more monetary wealth because it would cost the school more to replace my skill set. I'll leave it at this. And this is, this could be completely uh, taken as how arrogant am I? But I would say this, the job I had at USC, there was one football only assistant. Since then, they've hired five people to do the job I was doing myself. Now, I would argue that they probably are doing a better job individually than I was collectively. But I would say this, if I was ever gonna go back to USC and say, all right, I'm gonna go back here and work here. I'm gonna remind them the fact that they have five people overseeing sports medicine liaison, nutrition, programming, sports science, and coaching, and training the interns and staff. I was doing that by myself. I would like to be compensated the amount those five people are making. No, that's they're gonna cough at that, no problem. But that's the truth, is that whatever those five people have made are making since I have left, that is what they perceive the value I brought. It's not one-to-one. But those didn't exist when I got there. It was in spite of. There was no sports nutrition. There was no sports science. Programming was kind of what it was. It was very much so like we've been good for a long time. We can keep doing what we're already doing. Connection to sports medicine was non-existent. All those things, all those things are essentially things that I developed and brought. And since then, they've been indispensable and a mainstay. And they've advanced and they've increased. These are all products of things I was able to go out there and do and learn and grow with. These are all things I took the initiative and bet on myself. And they didn't go to the national conference. I went to East Greenwich, Rhode Island. I went to downtown New York to go to an Eldelo conference. I went to Tempe, Arizona. I went to all these places. Scottsdale, Arizona, not Tempe. I went to these places to learn and grow and take myself outside of the confines of what I already knew or understood. I'm not, I'm not worth half a million dollars to USC. I never will be. But it's pretty good comparable. 
it's a pretty good way to say that you're that. That's what that's what they pay five people to do the job I was doing myself. Arguably, they're probably doing it better individually than I was collectively, but truth is, it's a pretty good number to kind of stack what your value is. And then we go forward into the, the next stratosphere of, I can go into an area or domain that I don't really know a whole lot about, but I'm confident I can learn. I'm confident I can do it eventually. And then when you get this inventory of where you suck or where you're not better at, I'm gonna choose things that are gonna make me better. You look at my Amazon list, it's a lot about systems thinking, it's a lot about sales, it's a lot about looking at areas that I'm not necessarily pro proficient in, and big picture wise. And now when I'm talking to you guys, it's a whole nother stratosphere. Can I podcast better? Can I, can I do web design better? Can I create curriculums and courses better? It's a whole other element now. But I think that's what you should be thinking about investing your time and energy into. And I think you should bet on yourself that you can do this. You can get whatever you want as long as you're willing to work and put the effort in in the right direction. You know, it's the 10,000 hour rule. It's not 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 quality hours. Are you working on things you're already good at, you already know, or are you working on things you're not good at and you don't already know? Well, I hope you guys appreciate this. Um, I'm really having fun with these. I think these are uh, a nice like breakage from the pretty heavy, loaded, singular topic. Um, I like to get anecdotal, so we're gonna keep these going for a while. Um, check out phpodcast.com. I will have this, this blog post is listed. This, this podcast will be attached to that, so if you kinda wanna go through both simultaneously, as well as get on the curriculum, can't tell you enough, it's a really invaluable thing, and uh, it's gonna enhance your ability to, to coach in so many ways that you would never even imagine. Appreciate you guys, man, and we'll see you guys on the other side.